0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10
2: per order. Additional terms apply. This time on Vet Story. Marines are more likely to be binge drinkers and have a ton of sex partners.
1: Um, Not necessarily surprising, uh, given the demographic of who Marines are. Well, oh, it's one of those days
3: where I'm wearing my U.S. flag silkies. Uh, this might be a good time to uh, spark some patriotism while getting people to laugh for a little bit. Then
0: a captain with the last name of Schwing. thats a real name. He was Captain Schweng.
3: Finding a way to use humor that is uh, geared towards using uh, or geared towards patriotism.
0: Binge drink. And and obviously, you know, when my wife found out I was into bigfoot erotica, she actually said that's sort of cool.
2: I don't know, somewhere between the whiskey and the morning coffee, I think we'd light some candles. And by we, I don't mean you and me.
3: Well, I need a few more whiskey drinks before you start talking to us.
2: <laughs> Welcome to Vet Story. I'm your host, Phil Briggs. And a week ago, if you had told me I'd be doing a podcast about binge drinking, streaking, and Bigfoot erotica, I'd have been like, hell no. There's no way that has anything to do with proud military veterans. But it turns out it does. Okay, look, I was in the Navy, so I get the binge drinking part. I did plenty of that as a younger guy. So let's just start there. This week I learned from a RAND Corporation research study that Marines, of all people, are the most likely to binge drink, smoke, and have risky sex. And that was based on a study conducted across the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, and Coast Guard which I really thought would have been second to the Navy in drinking, but I was wrong. Turns out after looking at 17,000 surveys, the Marines are number one. Now the jokes kind of write themselves when it comes to a research study about stuff like this. But when you look past the punchline, there's a serious message. So to understand the study a little more, we reached out to one of its authors.
1: My name is Dr. Sarah Meadows. I'm a senior sociologist at the Rand Corporation.
2: Looking at this study, it was interesting. It talked about how... Namely, uh, all the services were analyzed on their drinking habits and their other kind of personal conduct, and you were mm-hmm. able to aggregate all those numbers, put them together, and come up with one hell of a behavioral research study, which <laughs> the headline kind of screamed that Marines are more likely to be binge drinkers and have a ton of sex partners. Is that basically the takeaway from the study?
1: Well, like you said, it's a very large study, so there are a number of important takeaways. But that certainly is um, a, a headline uh, attention grabber.
2: Now, as I looked at it, I noticed that there were different criteria. You know, there's drinking, and then there's heavy drinking, and then there's hazardous drinking. Can we? Can yes. you first tell me real quick just what the categories were? How they broke down the drinking p- part of it.
1: So uh, first it's important to note that, you know, we didn't, these are, are established guidelines that are exist in the literature. So these are not things that we ran made up ourselves. Mm, okay. um, so binge drinking uh, is defined as five or more drinks for men or four or more drinks for women in one setting. Now one setting isn't um, typically defined. So it's, you know, it could be the course of a day. It could be in a few hours, um, but it's, generally consuming a fairly large quantity of alcohol in a pretty short amount of time. Right. So that's binge drinking. Okay. Um, heavy drinking is five episodes, five or more episodes of binge drinking in one month. So that's a lot of drinking a lot of times in the course of a month. Um, hazardous or disordered drinking is a little bit more complicated. It's actually a um, sort of a clinically established scale and so it's a set of questions that asks about how often you drink, how much you drink, um, some of similar characteristics as the other two measures of binge drinking and heavy drinking. Um, but sort of if you think about a progression from a small problem to a bigger problem, um, it would start with sort of one episode of binge drinking, and then you've got multiple episodes of binge drinking, which is heavy drinking, and then, you know, even. An even bigger problem then would be um, categorized as hazardous or disordered drinking.
2: Mm. So like in layman's terms, we could think about it when we were younger, we'd maybe go out on a Friday night, bam, four or five drinks, that's a binge start going yes. out 3 4 times a week like that that's yes. that's that's considered heavy that's, and then that's
1: pretty heavy drinking you start yes.
2: drinking at lunch start drinking in the morning boom next thing you know now you're at the hazardous level because you're not just binge drinking in like a social scenario but like it's becoming part of your everyday life or it's becoming yes. more yes. and more pronounced and young marines tested highest for this
1: um not necessarily unsurprising uh given the demographic of who marines are Um, So they do have the highest rates of binge drinking, heavy drinking, and hazardous drinking. I'm going to leave it
2: there. (laughs) Sure, (laughs) sure. And when we say young Marines or we say Marines, you know, of course, we do think of the demographics. And it is primarily, what, like 18 to 25 or 18 to 26? I mean, you know, fit, healthy, vigorous men more often than not, although there are women in this category as well. And it's not gender specific.
1: uh, Yeah. If you look at the breakdown by gender uh, and even by gender within each service, um, these sort of uh, disordered drinking behaviors are more prevalent among males than females.
2: And then also in the study, we indicated some things about sex, their sex lives, their sexual behaviors. Talk to me about that.
1: Yes. So um, there and again, these are sort of the definitions that the larger literature use in terms of defining sort of risky sexual behavior. So, you know, one risky sexual behavior is having um, more than one sex partner um, in a fairly short amount of time. It just increases the risks of, you know, sexually transmitted infections or HIV or, you know, other unintended consequences like unintended pregnancies. Um, So Marines were um, higher in that regard in terms of having more than one sex partner. Although I will say they were not um, that different from the Navy. So another uh, uh, risky sex behavior um, is sex with a new partner without using a condom for probably obvious reasons. Again, risk of of, um, some kind of sexually transmitted infection. Um, Again, Marines were higher there, um, but Not so different from um, soldiers in the Army uh, or sailors in the Navy. The headlines for some of these things are a little bit exaggerated. Um, So, uh, and the risky sexual behaviors is one where um, there are certain areas where uh, Marines stand out. So one of those is high risk for HIV infection. But some of the other um, behaviors aren't necessarily statistically significantly different from some of the other services. When you think about demographics, a large portion of of all of the services are young adults, and this some of these behaviors, for good or bad, are more typical among young adults
2: sure and keeping it light before we look at the more significant or serious uh-huh. side of this, I'll say, yeah, you know when when we were younger, we used to party and you know Jagermeister and I mean I was actually disappointed sure. that the Navy didn't score higher in this study, <laughs> you know we we swore up and down we could outdrink a marine, certainly outdrink an air force or an army uh, guy, and it's in our so, song for crying out loud. "Anchors Away" yep. includes the words "drink to the foam," which I can only think is you know finishing yeah. your beer before you gotta leave port and go back to the ship and you know fight the good war.
1: Yeah, there have been a couple of um, uh, media stories released about the, the study with sort of the headlines that the marines are, are bad, et cetera, et cetera, um, and it's very it's interesting as a researcher for me to read the comments on some of these articles that have been posted online. Um, and it has been pointed out by several folks um, that the Marine Corps was sort of um, started in a bar, essentially. Oh, <laughs> and yes, the folks, famous story of yeah. Tun's Tavern, right? Yes. This, this, is, this <laughs> is not to say that anyone is condoning their behavior, but there is a culture, right? And, and every service has a different culture.
2: Now, those cultures she speaks of have been forged by generations before us. Service members with badass bravado that went off to war. And every service hears about them. The hua, The hard chargers. The oorah. I get how statistically it could look like that. And certainly generationally and as a younger individual, you can see why the drinking and the going out and the socializing is all part of the natural course. But she said the study also left us with some important observations that we need to remember going forward.
1: The end goal that everybody wants is a ready force, right? One that is ready to do whatever job or task the military is assigned to do. And the many of the behaviors, the things that we found in the report, are potential threats to readiness. The military using the data from this study can sort of identify maybe, you know, hot spots where There are behaviors that service members are engaging in that are a potential threat to readiness. And so to the extent that the military can try to mitigate or, you know, control these risk factors, all of this is going to improve outcomes for not just service members, but for their families. And again, for overall readiness.
2: So the takeaway for me as a veteran is that I don't have to be as concerned with readiness for the sake of the military as I have to have readiness to support my family. So maybe we can cut down some of the binge drinking tendencies earlier in life, which will make us all better veterans in the end. Now, from a study about Marines to a former Marine who's been known to take his clothes off for a good cause.
3: Chris White, president of Freedom Hard.
2: Chris, I saw you on a viral video running around in your underwear. And I got to admit, it made me wonder, one, who the hell is this guy? And then two, when I found out that you're a veteran, it made me all the more curious to find out what you're about. But before we get into what Freedom Hard is, what it stands for, and the kick-ass products that you can get from Freedom Hard, talk to me. Take me back to that baseball game. Houston Astros, there you are. And when it was all said and done, this is what it sounded like on the evening news.
1: Only on two now, a man runs across the Astros' home turf in nothing but his underwear and winds up in handcuffs. But tonight, he's telling us there's a lot more substance to this, to his stunt. He spoke with our Keith Garvin, who joins us live at Minute Maid, with why the man did it and why he says he has no regret.
3: Pretty much by the end of the sixth inning, I figured there wasn't really going to be a way for the Astros to start catching up. Uh, and I can see the consensus uh, across the fans as some of the fans are already starting to leave. And so I went down to the the bottom level and thought, well, it's one of those days where I'm wearing my U.S. flag silkies. Uh, This might be a good time to uh, spark some patriotism while getting people to laugh for a little bit. And I decided um, I'm going to go ahead and pull the trigger and uh, (laughs) take my clothes off, jump over the fence, and run across the outfield and get people to laugh and see what comes of it.
2: (laughs) All right, well, here's what came of it. You jump into the outfield. You sprint out to the middle of the outfield. Immediately, security and cops start chasing you. You zig, they zag. Uh, you do a pretty impressive like zigzag maneuver, one eighty, and like two of the cops just like take each other out. And uh, tell me about what happens from there.
3: Well, it's interesting that you asked that because. Um, after I dodged the first cop, uh, the first security guard, I, I basically just spun right out of his, uh, attempt to grab me from the waist. And I heard, uh, an influx of the cheers from the outfield. And then I saw a little bit heavier set guy coming right after me and it could not have been played out any more perfect than how it was because the guy launched right at me after I juked him. And I could tell that he took out the guy behind me because I'm already looking the other way. But there was an even louder cheer. Uh, <laughs> I could only tell that it meant that he took the guy out from behind me. And so, <laughs> I saw three other uh, security guards coming down the way, and I easily could have, you know, ran around them a few more times. But I immediately thought, okay, I've already embarrassed two of them. If I embarrass another one, they're not going to take it easy on me when they finally do catch up to me and tackle me.
2: so that's why your hands sort of go up and you just get passive right there and you're like okay i made my statement
3: it was was a way to just kind of let it end. uh you know it kind of it it served its purpose and and it it actually got a little bit better than uh than that uh, after i was handcuffed
2: (laughs) those might be my favorite words from the interview it actually got better after i was handcuffed (laughs) all right but chris went on during the interview to tell me about the serious cause behind his desire to streak uh,
3: so I'm a huge advocate for veteran suicide prevention. Well, to be honest with you, I'm a huge advocate for just suicide prevention as a whole. Um, and whatever methods work for veterans, I can I can promise you it also works for uh, law enforcement, first responders, and just civilians alike as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of, the, part of the reasoning for me to create my brand, which basically stands for using humor as a platform to display patriotism, is because humor is such a great coping mechanism. It's extremely therapeutic. Uh, independent of whatever struggles one might be going through. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, uh, job struggles, isolation, drug overdose, marital issues, uh, financial burden. It doesn't matter if I can make you laugh for a few minutes then you're not in that potential dark space um, and you're, you're thinking about something that's making you feel good in your soul basically. And so, I'm a huge advocate for these type of things within the veteran community because, unfortunately, we're losing veterans by their own hands at an astronomical rate here in America, and it's an epidemic that really needs to change course yesterday.
2: And ultimately, that's one of the driving forces behind why Chris decided to make a brand called Freedom Hard. But what exactly is Freedom Hard? Well, we look at the website, go to their Facebook page, and you can't mistake the videos. (laughs) They're hilarious usually involving Chris in some kind of Speedo or G-string or underpants, a lot of dancing. Oh, and uh, smoke grenades. He likes to, like, dance in his underwear around red and blue smoke grenades. It's kind of a nice touch. But seriously, what the hell's Freedom Heart?
3: I wanted to create a brand, uh, and on February 28th of last year, I decided to go ahead and do it. And so when I when I started it, um, I knew that I wanted it to be about finding a way to use humor that is is geared towards using uh, or geared towards patriotism. And so on February 28th last year, I secured the name, uh, the taglines, domains, all that good stuff for Freedom Heart, sat on it for a couple of weeks, and then I started to uh, basically create these videos to where uh, people are laughing. Uh, They've gone viral. Some of them have gone, you know, mega viral. And uh, the brand started to grow, and after no time at all, really, I mean, I, I saw that I had something because a lot of people really, really uh, liked some of the content, or a lot of the content within Freedom Hard, and so I started to grow it. And it was not long after, a couple of months, basically, all of a sudden, I had like thirty-five, forty thousand followers on Facebook, and I thought, wow, this is. Pretty fast growth, uh, so I decided to incorporate and then commercialize some cool products along the way that's complementary of the portfolio for what Freedom Heart is.
2: So it's weird. It kind of sounds like business in reverse. We started with a brand identity, and then we got products. So Chris went on to tell us what kind of products he actually sells.
3: For the first project that I started with, we uh, we commercialized basically uh, apparel. So We had a whole bunch of uh, tanks, T-shirts, um, men and women's, and then we had hats. Um, then I believe it was beard oil right after that which is pretty cool. Um, it was really cool to launch beard oil, to have my own beard oil and stuff. Um, and then uh, we went into some tactical pistol holsters. And then the next one was cool. Uh, I launched my own cigar line, and they're extremely cool, nice quality cigars um, and coffee. And then the latest one is whiskey.
2: That's uh, that's amazing. So I can literally sit wearing a Freedom Hard shirt. I can be having a stove, taking a little whiskey on the rocks and... Uh... After a night of that, when my shirt comes off, I go to bed, I can wake up and have Freedom Hard coffee
3: in the morning. Yep, that's how it works. Every day.
2: <laughs> and somewhere in there, I thought I saw candles on your website. I don't know, somewhere between the whiskey and the morning coffee, I think we'd light some candles. And by we, I don't mean you and me. Uh, I mean, like, you know.
3: Well, I need a few more whiskey drinks before you start talking to <laughs>
2: <laughs> Outstanding, Chris. That's Chris White, president and owner and founder of Freedom Hard. You can find his products at freedomhard.com, find them on Facebook, where their slogan is, it's not if you freedom, it's how hard. Not even sure that's proper grammar, but I like it. Now our last guest has something else I like, and I didn't even know I liked it until I found this story going viral earlier this week. He's an Air Force veteran running for a seat in Congress, but is teaching the world what Bigfoot erotica is about. Two words that I think really have just been put into the American lexicon forever by a U.S. military veteran. And I'm talking about Mr. Denver Riggleman from Virginia. How are you, sir?
0: I am doing great. How are you? And yes, those are three incredible different terms to use in one sentence. So fantastic.
2: I mean, yeah, <laughs> crazy. And uh, for those that I'll bring everybody up to speed for those that don't live in the D.C. metro area, you know, you're running for Congressional Fifth District of Virginia and I am. Uh, you're a Republican running against Democrat Leslie Coburn. And as politics gets kind of ugly and the mud starts flying, you um, Somebody picked a fun, funny picture out of your Instagram account, decided to claim that you were somehow into Bigfoot erotica, and thus you got thrust into the national spotlight, no pun intended. (laughs) Talk to me about how the hell this all happened.
0: You know, I was trending number two on Twitter, you know, Denver Riggleman and Bigfoot. Um, Pretty crazy. Um, Never thought in a million years that would happen. But, no, it was, uh, you know, when you have a 14-year running gag uh, with your – military former military pals, veteran pals. Um, and you know, you get birthday pictures where they superimpose your head on a Bigfoot body and you post it to Instagram, I guess for a, a, uh, an opponent, um, Leslie Coburn, I, sh- I guess she thought that that was, uh, something that I was in the Bigfoot erotica. And then so use pictures, my buddy's pictures, and then use that as my Bigfoot erotica proof. And, uh, fantastic. You know, it was a lot of fun and, uh, you know, and it exploded in the media and, uh, had awful things said about me, but also very funny things. And a lot of people came to my defense, but I've never in a million years felt that Bigfoot erotica would even be in my lexicon. But now it looks like it is. (laughs) So incredible. (laughs) I I bet if you Google my name right now, there's going to be Bigfoot with weird pictures that come up. So, you know what? I might be famous forever.
2: Literally. I just did Google your name. And can I read you the headlines I found? Yes, please. Please do. <laughs> I just Googled Denver Riggleman. Uh, Bigfoot erotica <coughs> Bigfoot erotica becoming pivotal issue in congressional race. Uh, that's by my <laughs> friends over at CBS. All those Bigfoot erotica jokes are helping normalize white supremacy. That's from the <laughs> that's, what? that's from the people at uh let me see what's the name of that website? Uh the dot com. Oh, right. that's that's funny. Uh, Denver yeah. Riggleman, the Bigfoot erotica candidate, wants you to know and then that's where the headline cuts off. Uh, that's from the Daily Beast. Uh, you're the Bigfoot erotica candidate. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's what I guess that's what she wanted. Um, you know, it, it's easy just to put out a, a just a massive fabrication. And that's what, you know, it's, it's, it's a character assassination. And that's what and it's not even Democrats. It's really the far left progressives, you know, that they have no idea what's going on. And she's never, you know, she's never worn the cloth either. So she doesn't understand military humor. To understand that we're not going to hide our military humor, and she just doesn't get it. And normal people do. They they're like, this is funny. And uh, and and obviously, you know, when my wife found out I was into Bigfoot erotica, she actually said, "That's sort of cool." And I'm kidding, by the way, that is a joke. <laughs> um, but she actually she goes, "Why didn't you tell me?" We're laughing so hard. We said, "There's nobody dumb enough to take this." They, there's nobody dumb enough who could see this like that. They they know it's a joke. Even with what I posted underneath the pictures, it's a joke, right? Right, right. They right. knew it was a joke. They still did it. And now they're getting called out. And now people know she just likes, she, she actually, I mean, the, the worst word you can use, um, one of the worst words is is somebody who lies. And um, just mm. for political gain, she's just awful. And um, I think that's what that's what people are saying right now.
2: Okay, well, we'll we'll put an end to the rumor that you're into Bigfoot erotica by reading her tweet. Thank you. And uh, her tweet yes. said, uh, my opponent, Denver Riggleman, running mate of Corey Stewart, was caught on camera campaigning with a white supremacist. Now he has been exposed as a devotee of Bigfoot erotica. This is not what we need <laughs> on Capitol Hill. Clearly um, doesn't understand a joke. Let's talk about the root of the joke, though, because, I, you know, me as a veteran and all of us here in this office, you know, we're all vets. And I don't think a day goes by that I don't greet my colleague eric dame with you know good morning son of a bitch i mean this is how we are you know we this is how we are we bust balls yeah. i mean that's part of the veteran it's experience so how did this all get started with you and your buddies because it's been going on you said for like 14 years
0: it started with a start gosh you're probably going to get this because military people will. It started with pranking i pranked my wife 15 years ago um i told her i was taking her to a beach um for our 15 year anniversary and um she thought it was going to be Cancun. And she said that she actually thought, or or Europe. And I said, this will be the best trip ever. I said, um, because my love for you knows no bounds. And we got off the plane in Seattle, Washington. She goes, what the heck are we doing here? I said, oh, honey, we, I scheduled us for a Bigfoot expedition. Um, she lost her mind. Um, I can hear it now, she, yeah. Oh, my gosh. But it ended up being a crazy time where we found out that these people who believe, believed in Bigfoot even had different versions of their beliefs, you know. One believed that Bigfoot was a uh, you know a a being that evolved from gicanopithecus black ear Homo erectus. another person thought that you know UFO was uh, that Bigfoot was beamed from UFOs another person thought, that bigfoot was guarding us in the 264 million year war against the dracos and and there were 12 strand dna beings i mean think (laughs) about how crazy that sounds um this is what i was told and i told my wife even back then i'm like these people are interesting and i mean i of course i don't want to alienate bigfoot voters but um i don't believe but wouldn't that be something to see what these people actually believe in 2005, uh, ESPN Outdoors called me because they heard I was on this expedition from the Bigfoot people and I had worked for NSA. ESPN Outdoors thought it would be hilarious to have an intelligence guy go along with ESPN to study Bigfoot. This started as a prank. All of this is. And by 2006, we threw our own expedition with the ESPN Outdoors writer and wrote our first book called The Bigfoot Exterminators, which was just a military joke. And we put it on Amazon for 99 cents. We're laughing because people. We got death threats because we actually put Bigfoot recipes up. Um, so we took it down because we did. Yeah, we got death threats from from Bigfoot lovers. So, um, so for the next ten years, I just did research on these Bigfoot systems whenever I had a, bit, a little bit of time when I was running my company, starting my distillery. I sold a company. Um, you sure. know, I've done well in life, the American dream, right, brother? Well, you're so, allowed um, to have
2: hobbies, and this became kind yeah. of one of your hobbies. Bigfoot, shall we say, a research fiction. Yeah. Okay
0: yeah yeah just a prank and my buddies thought it was funny so they all got involved so so spinner and elaine and fad and all these other prior military people like this is the stupidest stuff ever let's let's just have fun with it so anytime i have a birthday or anything like that they'll send a picture of bigfoot with my head on it or they'll do artist pictures (laughs) freaking complete joke for years and this is what you picked up on it it all was a it's been it's, it's like the movie tag it's just a bunch of friends that have been doing this for 14 years because we think it's funny. That, that's it. It is it is that simple, but, you know, they saw it as Bigfoot erotica because they're just stupid.
2: That's really what it's all about. Well, believe me, the jokes and the ball-busting I exchanged with my Navy buddies uh, rival Bigfoot erotica. So uh, that's oh, we, oh can't my even, we can't it's, even talk about that with an open microphone. I know, so,
1: I know um, we can't. Is this, so book, then,
2: this book, The Mating Habits of Bigfoot and Why Women Want Him?
1: <laughs> it's
2: is, real. That's actually oh, a real, real. book.
0: Yeah, I'm going to publish it now so people can see it's not Bigfoot erotica. It's actually so I'm going to publish it with that. I'm going to publish it with that cover because I don't really. The thing is, everybody knows I have a sense of humor and I'm a normal dude. You know, I wasn't in politics, man. I'm a normal dude that's done well and um, and and maybe barely smart enough to do great things. Right. And uh, and now. You know, I'm going to publish this book. And, you know, I I just want to thank the Democratic Party and and Leslie Coburn for being a great publicist. Thank you.
2: (laughs) Yeah. You don't even need to buy any ads anymore, Denver. You come up number one on Google search. Um, I'm, number
0: one. Let I'm me, number
2: one. Let me ask real quick. Although I'm dying to know why women would want a bigfoot. Well, let me ask that first. Why, why? Why would women want bigfoot? I mean, I spend a lot of my time and a lot of my spare dollars on you know manscaping and such. Um, bigfoot would seem to be rather <laughs> here suit. It, explain to me why? Why, why would women want? It's bigfoot?
0: It's back to nature, man. It's back to nature. <laughs> no, we uh, we were on our second. Uh, my well, the first one, my wife and I. They they dude, This is so funny. And why? It, they were doing these Bigfoot training sessions about how to track Bigfoot and me and my military buddies. And, and, uh, you know, cause some came to the expedition and they're looking at me like, dude, you are nuts. And I'm, I started laughing. Right. And then they're like, no, this is serious. I'm like, okay. So they're having this question and answer session. And they had an argument between if Bigfoot was a, uh, this is real. And and I just want everybody to know before I say this, what I'm about to tell you is real. Okay. This is not made up. There was an argument First of all, there was an argument between if Bigfoot was descended from man or ape. Okay, okay, this a mythological creature, but just hold on a second. The man side argument said, well, we know he's descended from man. And somebody said, why do you know that? They said, because he's proportionate. So <laughs> the other side said, no, he's from gorillas because there's been no proof that he's proportionate because silverbacks have the smallest genitalia in the simian world. And I'm sitting here listening to this man. So I, I'm like, is this a real conversation? This, this can't be real. <laughs> so that's, this is not real, but they had an argument and, you know, I was almost like Austin Powers, right. Where I'm like, he's a man, baby. You know, um, and <laughs> he's a so man, baby. He's a man, baby. And And I said that. And then people thought it was funny, but they also thought I was mocking them. So, but, um, it comes down to the fact that people actually have these scientific arguments about a mythological creature. It's like me and you arguing if a unicorn is a horse or an ass right right so um, and that makes so both I'm of us quite, an
2: ass for actually having the argument
0: it, having it. that <laughs> argument so that's where it got me that's why the, the that's why I came up with the title as again because of that conversation I heard um, 14 years ago.
2: Wow funny as hell. And, uh, you know, I don't, you know, they could be on to something. Who knows? Maybe Homo erectus is actually a better name for the Bigfoot erotica movie. I don't know. Maybe the. I'm doing it. That's my new book title, I think. Yeah. So that's a different thing. But um, Let's go from that now to uh, things that we don't need to debate, things that are in the real world, things that actually have occurred and it's always always the source of my vet story. And that is uh, the history of the veteran himself or herself. You're in air force guy you're a zoomie and the only reason i have a lot of respect for you as an officer is because i read here in your bio you were enlisted first talk to me about just briefly uh you know what the heck you did in the air force man
0: yeah so um um i got married at 19 man i I met my wife when we were 16 and 15 so high school sweethearts got married at 19 and you know when you get married young you know I, i did i won some powerlifting championships um played a little football did all that kind of stuff um, but what I found out is that I wasn't, you know, I had a 1.1 GPA in community college and my wife was working all the time. And, um, so I was pretty much, you know, ha- having a good life from 19 to 22 years old, but around the age of uh, 22, my wife somehow got pregnant. So, um, when that happened, you know, I've always wanted to serve. It really wasn't big in our family, you know, because it, 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 my uncle was a test pilot in the air force. And, uh, my other uncle was a chief master sergeant on A10s, Right. So, um, uh, and so I said, hey, you know, I should join the Air Force. I can serve my country and get health care. And uh, that was really my at, at that young age. That was my that was my decision process. So I enlisted in the Air Force, Um, um got uh, did OK. I got number one out of basic training being from the Air Force. Probably people laugh, but I did. And uh, <laughs> then I went to tech school and got number one. I, I think I lost number one by point zero one hundredth of a point, one hundredth of a point or something. And uh, they gave me my pick. So I said, you know, the military brother, I said, I want jets and electronics. They said, you got it. I'm like, I get to work on fighter jets. This is amazing. I got the C-141B Starlifter. It is a jet, but it was a cargo jet. So, okay. so uh, yeah, dude. And we got we got stationed at lovely McGuire Air Force Base in New Jersey. So, um, you know, went to Keesler for training down in Biloxi. Then we went up to McGuire. So I was there for three years. But while I was there, man, I, I went to school full time and tried to change my life. So I ended up making the National Honor Society, had a very high GPA. We took my SATs. Then a captain with the last name of Schwing, that's a real name. He was Captain Schwing. He brought, I swear to God, Captain Schwing. I just Amen. want to say that again. Captain Schwing brought me into his office and said, Denver, you're barely smart enough to go to college. You need to put it for scholarship. <laughs> I'm like, okay, thanks, brother. And so I did, and I got chosen. And they said, hey, you pick any, in the Air Force, that pick any college in the country, we'll send you. Now, since I was originally from Virginia, my dad was an electrician at the University of Virginia. Um, I said, what if me as a Virginia boy actually became a Wahoo? What if I got into UVA? And I did, um, oh, good for you. and I ended up getting my, the best GPA in my ROTC class, and uh, I was a little too old to fly, so I went into Air Force Intelligence. And from there, things got crazy. Uh, 10 months later, I was on my uh, Serbian border for Operation Allied Force. Uh, with the 726 air control squadron out of um, mountain home air force base doing some crazy stuff.
2: Say that one more time. Uh, uh, to, your phone cut out right there. Just go ahead and say 10 oh, months later, start with 10 months later. He,
0: oh, I'm sorry. 10 months later we were, I was in uh, on the Romanian Serbian border for operation allied
2: force mm.
0: um, with the 726 air control squadron out of mountain home air force base. Um, we did some crazy stuff there. And then uh, about a year later, I was in Oman training in the Omanis on F 16 ops. Oh. And, uh, was trained actually on F-15, F-16, and B-1 intelligence systems and uh, got read into a lot of special programs that other people weren't privy to at the time, and it was pretty neat to do that kind of mission planning, but then 9-11 happened, so when 9-11 happened, I was with the uh, Mountain Home Air Force Base, the gunfighters, we were the uh, emergency wing at the time on standby, so when 9-11 happened, we immediately deployed to Diego, and, uh, you know, I, I got to mission plan the first bombing runs to Afghanistan after 9-11, so Pretty crazy stuff. And uh, came back, went directly into NSA special projects, got into counter IED work, and also counterterrorism mission management, which you can probably guess what that was. Oh, yeah. Um, to, yep. And in 2007, I started my own DOD company. And uh, that's when we went into um, – did a bunch of stuff with Big Safari, with Air Force acquisitions, uh, top secret acquisitions, and also with uh, – my guys worked at Fort Belvoir in a scope cell. So we did a lot of stuff with support to, to Spec Ops. And I uh, also did a bunch of stuff for uh, combating uh, terrorism and file the money stuff. And then uh, 2012, I sold the company. And at that point, I took my wife to Scotland and she said, hey, I said, hey, you've been following me around for over 20 years. I don't want to work anymore. What do you want to do? And she said, I want to start a distillery. So I built a distillery for her here in uh, Afton, Virginia. Became home to Virginia. And now she is CEO and master distiller of Silverback Distillery in Virginia. And I'm still a senior consultant at the Pentagon. That's what's going on, brother.
2: Outstanding. And a, a a great sense of humor, a great sense of service. Uh, fascinating, fascinating military background. I, I know you. very few people that have gone through DGAR because it's in like the middle of nowhere. I, I think the only guys I ever knew that went there were also um, radio broadcasters like myself uh, for...
0: That's an interesting place. Uh, You know, Diego, you know, when you when you think about it with what is it, the wild chickens and the mules and the big old coconut crabs. And, you know, we were in tent city there. But, you know, in the Air Force, I got to tell you, it was tough because in the tents, you know, Air Force guys staying in tents, by the way. I don't know if people are in shock right now. Um, They always kept the tent air conditioner way too cold. I would complain. I'm like, you know, I got to I got to put on an extra blanket. You know, you guys need to turn this air conditioner up. Um, I just was not happy with the air conditioning in our tents, man. You know, that's bullshit for the for the Air Force.
2: Yeah, and let me just like, bring everybody else into the joke. The Air Force actually has the best accommodations and the best food of any branch. So every single one of us are envious and hate you for it because you guys have, I know such, you do. And- you have such brilliant duty hey. stations. I mean, everywhere you go is like steak and, and real plates. I was in the Navy. Dude, you know, I mean, we had – w- Crappy food on the carrier. It really. And then God bless the grunts on the ground. You know the guys ripping MREs oh, and them. drinking Rippets. You know. Uh, oh man, what uh, God bless them. What great they made me. What what great service. Can I just also say awesome that from there you were able to help do some of the first bombing raids or help kind of manage our influence and command our power mm-hmm. as we got into yes, what became, you know, this global war on terrorism and through your efforts with uh, the NSA and working at Fort Meade and, and even as a civilian contractor, um, you know, you're well, de- you're dedicated crazy. to putting an end to that or at least holding the bad guys accountable, finding them and doing what you do with, uh, you know, an education given to a, a good old boy, not, not bad for a good <laughs> old boy, sir.
0: Um, Buddy, I, I'm an Appalachia Hill boy. And to to be able to, to, you know, to follow the American dream, I always told my wife, she's Virginia royalty. You know, she's related to Thomas Nelson, Robert E. Lee. She's in the Carter Family Society. You know, I'm like a mountain dwarf with faulty DNA that come out of the mountains. And, you know, and she found me under a bridge. And, you know, and so it's really (laughs) unbelievable that she would marry me and mix my DNA. And then somehow the kids came out with her DNA. I don't know how she did that. Maybe it's because she's a superhero. And Right, But, um, yeah, so my three daughters are just insane. They're insanely gifted, incredible people. Mm. And uh, but I've been very fortunate, man, to, to live the American dream, and it's only here. And maybe I can help others do that, you know, by taking away the yokes of bondage of government overreach, and that's really what I'm trying to do.
2: Yeah, talk to me real quick before we wrap up. Uh, I don't know, like, top two or three things that you would like to see changed, or top two or three things that you'd like to do and accomplish, should you be given the well, opportunity, you know, to be elected?
0: Right. I'm in the 5th District here in uh, Virginia. So uh, Southside Virginia is not doing very well economically. So what I'm looking at, what the farmers have told me, is to take away. They've given me about 9 or 10 regulatory sets that are just destroying them, and I've been through it myself because I run an agriculture with our distillery. So um, I'm going to take away the regulations. I also want to make sure their tax cuts are made permanent because they said that's the only thing getting them through. But I need to help incentivize infrastructure down there. Um, it's really bad down in Southside in the 5th. And uh, you know, people are working around some years and years of of really jobs being taken away uh, based on loss of textile manufacturing, tobacco farming, all that kind of stuff. So my job is to make sure that I give them the freedom to to change or to grow an economy that's been killed, you know, over the last twenty years. And it's been really eye opening to me, brother, to 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 talk to people, you know, that have thousand acre farms. They don't know if they're going to make it another month. And So if I get, you know, I get sort of, you know, military emotional about these cats because they're just amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And let me tell you one quick story. And I know we have to go, but um, I had a a farmer and his wife, a dairy farmer, and they had their two daughters waiting for me uh, with their cows. And they were two gorgeous cows. And we're walking away and I said, man, that's pretty cool that your daughters have their own cows. And here's what he told me. So I had to. I looked at him and said, why is that? Because why I had to give them stock in our company and to give them 100 100 percent stock in our stock for the cows, because if we go bankrupt, they don't lose their cows so they can keep their cows. Brother, Mm. that is what's happening out there. And I guess there's a lot of great news on the economic front, but there's places in our country that still need help. And that's why I'm running.
2: Do you foresee helping them via deregulation, or foresee them through foresee assistance coming in the form of uh, I don't know a government program? I mean, that doesn't sound very Republican to create a program it's to not, help you know someone else. But I mean, you know, it's kind of against sort of big government. Um, but how it do, is how how would you foresee the assistance coming? Well,
0: even you know whether you like the farm bill or not, they incentivized infrastructure growth down in Southside Virginia. Um, but they've also but also what we have is that everything has been sort of forced into Northern Virginia and also into Southern Maryland for government programs and government largesse. Hmm. So my idea is this. Infrastructure growth is going to help with business. So let's incentivize private businesses, not with tax dollars, right, because um, I'm totally against that. But let's incentivize them with tax cuts. And if we have to grow infrastructure, let's let's use education dollars because right now the problem that you have in, for the schools on Southside is that they don't have internet. So you have kids going to library parking lots trying to do their homework assignments. So my, my my take on this is this, I'm a business guy. How do we incentivize it? So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna use dollars, so we're gonna, if there's any federal dollars that are already being used for military facilities or things like that, I'm gonna fight for them down in the South Side, but I think educational dollars needs to be moved to infrastructure and not wasting it in, in so many other areas. Hmm. And as far as incentivizing private business, why don't we do that and say, listen, this is what you get if you go down there. Not only that, we're going to guarantee an infrastructure bill based on incentivization. So let's have private business incentivized to do this and make it worth a while. That's my first. That's my first idea on how I'm going to make it happen.
2: I like to hear from you. It's always good to encourage another veteran to do something in the realm of you know public service. And um, it sounds like you got your head on straight, despite what I find when I Google your name. Denver Riggleman, you're more than just Bigfoot erotica. Uh, Pleasure to talk to you. you. And uh, will you come back? Will you come back on Vet Story and kind of update me on the campaign and see where we go from here?
0: Anytime. 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 I'll do it. Roger that, sir. I'd be honored, to be honest with you. I'd be honored. Thank you.
2: Very cool, man. Hey, great getting to know you. We'll talk to you really soon.
0: Thanks, man. You take care.
2: All right, that does it right there. Those are easily the three weirdest stories I could have found this week. And somehow, They were all veteran related. I'll be walking the earth looking for more great stories to tell. If you have one, feel free to contact me, Phil, at connectingvets.com. If you want to hear more podcasts, that's the same website, connectingvets.com. Go under the podcast tab and look for vet story. And you can find me sharing my weird interpersonal thoughts on Twitter every day at Philbriggsvet. I'll talk to you again next week, where I'll find more great stories from the battlefield to the bar stool, and we'll share them right here on Vet Story.